Welcome to The Dramatic Sessions, a podcast brought to you by The Dramatic Team, where we catch up with the finest in the world of bars and cocktails and give you a peek into the world beyond the drink. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Dramatic Sessions with me, Priyanka Blal. Today's guest is Paul Gaby, the co-founder and chief executive officer of Proof & Company, one of Asia-Pacific's leading independent spirit companies. Starting with the opening of 28 Hong Kong Street in 2011, Paul and the Proof & Company team have been deeply involved in the development of Asia's cocktail and spirits culture for nearly a decade now. Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for your time. Welcome to the Dramatic Sessions. Hi, Frank. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. What with Asia's 50 best just around the corner, I thought it would be a good idea to catch up with one of the key figures who sort of helped shape and define Asia's bar and cocktail scene, as well as spirits, uh, if I may add. And, uh, you know, I thought, Paul, maybe we could start by you telling our listeners just a little bit about Proof & Company and the journey uh, that brought you here for those who are so far sort of unaware of uh, the origins of Proof. Sure. Well, I mean, as I said, Bianca, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, it's certainly a strange year for all of us in the industry, but it, it, uh, it's a good time to be to celebrating some of the positive stories of what's happened, especially in, in our region, Asia, over recent years. And so I think good news and, and a bit of celebration is, is a nice antidote to some of the more challenging times we're facing now. So always a pleasure to share, um, you know, what's happening and our love for this, this region. Uh, Asia's 50 has certainly emerged as a highlight of the calendar year in, in Asia's bar scene. Everyone was looking forward to gathering in Singapore, I'm sure, um, but that's not possible. And it's it's great to see the spotlight continuing. It's very important for the industry, I think, um, the recognition that, that 50 Best Group brings to, to what's happening in Asia. And you saw this week that Manhattan Bar won the Art of Hospitality Award. Uh, and Bar Tragona up in Kuala Lumpur picked up a Sustainability Bar Award. So it's great to see some of that news coming out. So a journey with proof. Um, really started, you know, I'm just, I was a kid that grew up in Canada, Vancouver on the west coast uh, of Canada, which, you know, well before um, this modern era of cocktails and spirits, but moved after college down to New York City in the summer of 2001 and 2002, which many of your listeners will, will recognize was really the early days of, of the renaissance in, in cocktails and spirits. Um, New York City, you know, in the mid-90s and late 90s, starting with Dale de Groff and then London around the same time, really seen as ground zero of what has developed into what I, we, we call, and many I think see as the second golden age of, of fine drinking. And I had the great fortune just to be a young lawyer starting out my career uh, after school in New York City in those times. And when I moved, my background was in law before I came to Asia. Um, working hard in New York at those on those days, too many hours, but... Um, had a wonderful opportunity to live through the, the explosion of cocktail and spirits culture in New York City from 2001 through 2007. And we arrived in New York City, really only Milk and Honey was open and Flatiron Lounge was just opening. And, and in the three or four or five years that, that I lived in New York, we saw the, the, the entire first generation of, of landmark cocktail bars open and flourish. Um, and so the whole journey of Proof & Company really began back then. And it, it, as I moved to Asia in 2007 with my co-founders, Spencer Forhart and Snehal Patel, um, we landed in Singapore and, and realized that uh, that wonderful 
modern cocktail culture that we were exposed to in New York City and came to love was yet to arrive in, in Asia. Um, there were some green shoots, you know, some pioneering cocktail programs um, and a bit of interest, but scattered around the region. And, and we really just felt that uh, this modern era was going to come to Asia. and It was just a matter of time. Um, and so after a couple of years here, we began our whole journey just opening a cocktail bar at 28 Hong Kong Street in Singapore. Um, the idea was simply to bring something that we loved, which was that, that wonderful modern craft American bar program to Asia. Um, it wasn't a bigger project than that other to open a great bar. And we said, if we're going to take time off from our corporate careers, uh, let's build something uh, meaningful. Um, let's put our, our hearts into it. Um, and, and let's build something that lasts. And so that was 28 Hong Kong Street. And it was never meant to become a career in the industry, much less a... Uh, uh, a company and, and uh, a calling that Proof & Company became. Uh, but that 28 opened in 2011. Uh, it was not the first cocktail bar in Singapore. There were some pioneers before. But it was, I think, widely regarded as the first international Amer caliber American cocktail program in the region. Um, and it, it flourished from the opening weeks. Uh, and from there, the basic insight that gave rise to Proof & Company was born. And, and we built our entire company over the last 10 years on a, a simple insight is that this second golden age of drinking is not just a fad. Um, it was going to be and has become the future of how people drink, um, not just in Singapore, but all across Asia Pacific and all across the world. And so we moved from one successful cocktail bar uh, to the idea that why don't we help others embrace this modern era? You can't open world-class bar programs or restaurant bars or hotel bars without access to the spirits, the bar tools, the cocktail cherries, the expertise uh, that's necessary to do things at a world-class level in this second golden age. And, and so that was the insight in founding Proof & Company is let's set up a, a company, a partner, um, for those people in the region that want to embrace the second golden age and thereby hopefully play a role in catalyzing and accelerating um, the spread of this wonderful modern drinking culture around the region. And looking back, you know, eight years ago when we founded Proof itself, um, that insight, I think, was, was correct. Um, you've seen the region flourish in eight years since then. Um, Proof has played a small role in it, but we've had the good fortune to be ringside at most of the big developments. Uh, and now, eight years later, we're, you know, we have 80 offices across Asia Pacific. We've got a little more than 100 people. Um, we're in China, is our largest market alongside Australia. Um, we are in Auckland and New Zealand, all the way up through, you know, Kuala Lumpur and Bangkok with our partners there. So we're really fortunate, I think, to have benefited from the spread of this second golden age, and along the way tried to play a role in catalyzing and accelerating it. And that's really what has led to what people know as Proof & Company today. So in some sense then, could you say it was a case of you guys sort of being in the right place at the right time? Without a doubt. Uh, I think looking back now, especially in the moment of pause that a crisis like COVID uh, gives us all to reflect, um, I feel very, very fortunate to have landed in Singapore in 2007. Um, Asia, people talk about Asia's century, uh, you know, the rise of Asia, that Asia is the future of this century. Um, there's no doubt that the last 10 years have been good to the region. Strong economies, high levels of growth, low levels of unemployment, um, 
you know, high rates of development, increasing interest and appetite for and willingness to spend on food and beverage. Um, so I think there's probably been no region worldwide that has been as fertile as Asia over the last 10 years for the development of food and beverage. Um, and that's, we have no doubt benefited from being uh, at that time and place as Asia really started to develop. And I, you know, it's, it's been wonderful to watch. So since you and your partners moved to Asia roughly about a decade ago, how, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to sort of get your opinion on how you think that, you know, Asia back then looked like in terms of your experience, you know, going to a bar for a drink. What was that like? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll take it back, you know, even to, so let's, let's imagine, you know, think back of New York City or London in 1990. Um, at that time, there wasn't really anything you would define as modern drinking. Um, food was resurgent. You know, the farm-to-table movement, Alice Waters, the rise of the, the celebrity chef had, had begun in the late 80s and early 90s. But bartending and bars was really um, TGI Fridays and artificial sour mix and bad ice and uh, uh, basic uh, recipes. There wasn't a, uh, a sense of craft or calling or, or, or uh, you know, a level of sort of... Um, passion that we have in the industry now. And so people, you know, will look at times when we arrived in Asia, looked at Asia and said, you know, well, it's not, you know, it doesn't have modern cocktail culture and things, but it's just a matter of time. And, and I think one of the insights that we believe deeply in is that, you know, appetite for appreciation for and, and interest in fine food and beverage um, is, is a universal phenomenon. And, you know, it's, it's easy, I think, for, at times for people to criticize Asia and say, well, you know, in markets in Asia, people drink uh, whiskey with green tea or, you know, they mix their red wines. Well, if you look at New York or City, New York City or London, you know, five or ten years before, um, people were doing similar things, drinking, you know, artificial juices and, and sour mix and things. So um, really, I think what happened in Asia, what we saw in Asia in 2010, 11, when we were setting up 20 Hong Kong Street, was very much what it felt like in New York City in 2001 or 2002. The dawn, you know, the first green shoots, the first program, you know, modern bar programs, Tippling Club opened in 2008 here in Singapore. Um, you had Lillian Bloom in Hong Kong and 001 that opened in 2010. You, you had a very small number of pioneering bartenders, bars, or, or restaurants that were beginning to embrace modern beverage. Um, and that's very much what New York City looked like in the summer of 2001, no different. And so uh, the idea that, that you know, um, this golden age spreads, and it spreads like ripples in a pond. Do you think about concentric circles spreading outwards? Um, it's just a matter of time before it touches a city. So that's, you know, I, more than anything else, you ask, you know, what did Asia look like at the time? It looked very much like New York City in the summer of 2001 when we arrived there. Um, early on, but a bubbling and an interest uh, and in a few people taking risks and, and learning and, and reading and, and starting to do things differently. That is, uh, that's quite interesting. So at what stage do you think, was there a sort of tipping point in Asia's journey where, you know, we went from sort of mojitos to Manhattans and, you know, uh, our love for craft? Where, where do you think, how do you think that happened? Yeah, you, you say the journey from mojito to Manhattan, which is a, uh, a wonderful way of putting it. Um, 
it really is, you know, what, what we've seen and what I believe in is that it, it's, it's that, that metaphor of the pond and you drop a rock in the pond and the concentric circles spread out and the ripples spread and it takes time to reach the farther distance, you know, shores of the pond than the closer ones. Um, it's, it's happens that it has happened at a different time for different parts of the region. And, you know, Singapore and Hong Kong and probably Shanghai were certainly early and, and Japan has always had a long-standing tradition of craft and, and sort of a sense of noble calling in, in cocktails and bartending and hospitality. But modern cocktail culture um, really probably came to Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, and Shanghai and Tokyo first. But over the years, it spread out into the, the other cities. So Bangkok and places like Bangkok and Kuala Lumpur started to come up next. In China, you had secondary cities like Guangzhou, um, got Hope and Sesame and, and a wonderful team there, uh, or Shenzhen um, came next. You had sort of that second tier of cities begin to embrace the modern age. And then you have the frontier today, which is which are cities for which the ripples are just arriving. You know, we, we work um, across China and you've got uh, Hohat in Inner Mongolia, which is the Chinese side of, of the Mongolian border. Um, and you've got a group of speakeasy cocktail bars there, six or seven now, that are embracing you know, quality ice, craft spirits, uh, you know, flying down to Beijing to attend trainings and master classes by brands, um, grouping together to order spirits from, from other cities because they don't yet have access to everything. Um, and so much so that we've set up distribution in Hohat now um, to serve the burgeoning bar community there. And I would venture to say that, that Hohat in Inner Mongolia looks very much like Singapore or Hong Kong did in 2011 or 2012. Um, so that, that sense that, that different cities in the region have gone through this evolution and, and move into the second golden age at different times has very much been our experience. That's really interesting. And uh, I can't say I haven't wondered what makes Asia such an attractive region for brands. It's almost like a petri dish for a lot of brands or even people looking to invest in hospitality. Do you think there are specific traits or characteristics of the region that make it so uh, sort of attractive to brands and investors? For sure. I mean, I think we're touching on something we, we covered earlier. Um, Asia is a region of the future. It has been over the past 10 years. I'm, I'm a transplant uh, to Asia. I've only spent the last 10 or 12 years of my life here. Um, but it is a dynamic, forward-looking uh, rapidly evolving region, perhaps unlike any other in the world today. Um, and that creates a very conducive environment for creativity, innovation, uh, you know, fast moving advancement in hospitality. That means that there is funding available to do dramatic things that you may have trouble uh, doing in, in parts of the West. You take Atlas Bar in Singapore. Um, many people who've been say, Hard to imagine that being done in Canada, where I grow up, uh, and that's a sign of what's possible in Asia. You know, the forward-looking nature of, of the region here, the willingness to invest, the willingness to take risk because there's that belief in the future, makes things possible out here that might not quite be possible in places like where I grew up. Um, second is the consumer. You know, if you look worldwide at both uh, luxury spending, you know, percentage of consumption of luxury spending, I think... Three quarters of the world's luxury spending will take place in Asia by 2020 or 2025. Um, and the, you look at percentages of tourism, uh, once we get back out of COVID-19, um, you know, the Asian tourism engine that is now driving tourism in France, tourism in America, tourism in, in the UK, 
um, is large. And that means that people from across the region are moving into the middle class and then traveling. And by traveling, they're getting exposed to great coffee, you know, good food and drink. They're going to Melbourne and experiencing what a laneway bar is. Um, they're going to London and experiencing the Savoy or the Connaught Bar. Uh, and seeing what a hotel bar could be. So that outbound engine of travel and, and interest and curiosity of the, of the world, of which Asia is, is, is um, so full of right now, is creating an interest when people come back to their home cities to be able to experience some of that on a Friday night in Shenzhen, or on a Friday night in Bangkok, or on a Friday night in Singapore, and not have to wait until they travel uh, to London to see a great hotel bar again. Um, so I think those, those, that background, you know, the forward-looking nature, the rapid growth, um, the increasingly cosmopolitan uh, sense of travel and exposure to world food and beverage trends make Asia probably the world's best, as you type, call it, petri dish uh, for development of this second golden age of drinking right now. Yeah, yeah, that makes complete sense. Asia has also seen so many uh, world-class bars, bars that feature in some of the best and biggest lists worldwide. And, you know, there's obviously a reason for the massive success of Asian bars. What, in your experience, have been the defining traits of some of the best and most successful bars that you, as Proof & Company, have uh, had the chance to work with? There's, I mean, there are a few things that are near and dear to our hearts. Um, you know, we, Proof & Company is unique, I think, in the world of spirits distributors and, and companies and that we have an entire team um, that is essentially half of the company spiritually uh, that is called our creative team. Um, and their entire focus since the day we founded Proof & Company is to help our clients and our partners embrace the second golden age. And that can mean creating from scratch. Uh, bar programs and bars uh, in partnership with our clients. You know, that's bars like Manhattan Bar that we designed and built with Four Seasons and Region Hotels, um, an Atlas Bar that was done with the Wong family here in Singapore that are property developers and had a vision for this wonderful space. Um, concept, that entire creative uh, program we run is built around something called 20 Pillars, which is a, a way of looking at, at, at sort of unpacking guest experience into 20 different layers. Um, and then designing and building and crafting experience in the same way you might look at designing and building a building or a car. Um, and so that, and that 20 pillar approach is all about conceptual clarity, the strength and coherence of a concept behind a bar. Um, and so one of the things that I think um, you see in Asia that among successful programs is one is conceptual strength, conceptual clarity. And that's a program like Atlas, very, very clear, divine, designed and, and opened as a citadel uh, for gin, you know, a mecca for gin, as gin was taking rise in the, in the region. But you have other programs like the Old Man in Hong Kong or Native here in Singapore that are much smaller programs, but have the same level of, of sharp clarity in, in their reason for being. You know, that's the, the exploration of Hemingway and Old Man or, or celebration of local, and regional, and native, um, which are both stories that resonate for people. So one is certainly uh, uh, conceptual strength and cohesion. A second defining trait I think you're seeing emerge around the region is, is bars that are built around personalities. Um, 
by you know that that are centered around and successful because the people who are at the heart of those programs. You know, you take Jigger and Pony Group here in Singapore, who are certainly pioneers of, of Singapore's rise um, and have multiple programs on Asia's 50 best bars. Indra and Goyi sit at the central center of that uh, group and founded it, and are renowned, beloved personalities in, in the industry. You've got people like Jay Khan and in Koa in Hong Kong, which is a small bar, a bartender-owned bar that's that's uh, doing very, very well right now, and in no small part because of how respected uh, Jay himself is in the industry. And so I think this, this you know, some of the, you've got no, no Sleep Club here in Singapore now, which is Jay Hotch and Yujun. Two young ladies came out of uh, the industry and, and places like Tipling Club and 28 Hong Kong Street, and now open their own bar, but are two personalities who are genuinely beloved and supported by almost the entire industry and everyone wants to see them succeed so a second grouping I would say would be these these bars that have emerged that are are built around great people and, and strong personalities and that that defines the experience and, and and they're being very successful these days yeah yeah I think that pretty much sort of encapsulates my understanding of Asia's bar scene as well a bunch of great people very passionate about what they do very strong personalities and most often when I think of a memorable bar I find it's memorable a lot because of the person behind it or the person who you recognize to be behind the bar so that's I think that is a very very key uh, factor Paul I'm just going to run through a couple of questions that a few listeners sent in for you. There's Lucas who wants to know what are the trends you would like to see in bar and hospitality sort of really pick up over the next couple of years? I'll pick two. Uh, There are three or four but I'll pick two that I may be most um, passionate about at the moment. One is one is is has risen even more in prominence I believe with COVID. Um, You know we we're we work our biggest market is actually Australia now as proven company. And in Australia, like Europe and the U.S., um, the consumption of spirits is driven by home consumption. People are buying in retail and taking them home, hosting their friends at home, hosting barbecues, having gatherings, celebrating in a home environment. And, and 80% of spirits consumption in Australia is done at home. The on-trade, the bar community that we're so passionate about here in Asia is actually a minority of, of spirits, even though it's vibrant down there, it's a minority. And the same is, is seen in Europe and Asia is not like that. Um, there's never been a deep tradition of consuming spirits at home. Um, you gift spirits, you know, as for from a perspective of face and respect. You gift a beautiful bottle of spirit to someone, whether it's a business contact or a friend. Um, but people consume socially, and they consume out and about with their friends and family. And so, almost all of consumption, 80%, happens in the on-trade in bars, restaurants, and hotels. Um, COVID is scrambling that. For a long time, we have seen you know, hoped and seen that in the future home consumption would rise. And this crisis, I think, is is throwing everything on its head. And I do believe post-COVID, we will see a continual um, movement to align Asia more and more to what you see in other markets where people are drinking more at home. They're more comfortable making a cocktail uh, for themselves or, or their household or their friends. So one is that, that continued growth in home consumption, um, which is being accelerated by COVID. The second, which is near and dear to our hearts, is sustainability. Um, you know, I grew up in the west coast of Canada when the environmental movement was, was born. Um, it was a hippie fringe at that time, back in the 80s. Uh, it became a CSR uh, good thing to talk about five or six or ten years ago in many industries. 
it is now, and I believe deeply, the future of, of our industry, like most other industries. Um, sustainability in, in spirits and cocktails um, is very, very, very important. And we believe it will shape the future of guests' behavior, what they want to drink, who they want to engage with, who they want to purchase from, what brands they connect to. Um, we've been very busy with our EcoSpirits project, which is a, a technology we've developed and engineered here in Singapore to begin to eliminate single-use glass waste in the industry. Um, and that's um, a big part of our investment in the future in which we believe sustainability will shape the industry. You see bars across the region and native in Singapore has been a pioneer, as has Bar Tragona in, in KL, who's working on protecting the Tragona honeybee and, and Malaysia's rich biodiversity. Um, so the second trend would be would be sustainability. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. I don't think sustainability is any longer a matter of choice or a fad or a trend to latch onto, but it's kind of the need of the hour. It's extremely essential, and I hope more bars and establishments do think in that direction. Um, we also have Mal writing in from Scotland who would like to know what can the West learn from Asia's use of technology in the direct-to-consumer uh, space? That's a great question. I mean, I um, only really started working in earnest in China three or four years ago, and I, to this day, remain stunned at how far ahead China is in terms of technology, direct-to-consumer engagement with technology um, than the West. You know, growing up in Canada and, and starting my career in the U.S., um, especially in a place like New York City, which you're told is the center of the world and, uh, you know, the pinnacle of all things innovation and advanced. Uh, it is light years behind China in terms of technology. And COVID has only shone the spotlight brighter on how far ahead Asia is in engaging with consumers. That's things like, uh, you know, delivering at-home experiences, which has been, you know, being done for, for a long time in, in, in China. That technology use has adapted very well to COVID, where people are creating entire experiences for, uh, at home. Bars are creating experiences for their consumers uh, at home. Uh, payments, um, enhanced uh, menus, you know, use of technology and enhancing menus and storytelling and everything else. Um, if you want to look at a, uh, the gold standard for use of technology, look to China. There is a lot that China can teach the rest of the world about, about this, and COVID has really shone a spotlight on it. There's some great storytelling and, and media coverage. Drink Magazine is doing a lot about um, of writing right now about how bars in Asia are using technology and are using direct-to-consumer innovations to survive during COVID. So it definitely, there's a lot to learn from, from, from what Asia is doing with technology. Yeah, absolutely. I think China does set a very high benchmark when it comes to all things tech and innovation. Paul, with that, we have come to the end to a very insightful podcast. I can't thank you enough for actually taking us through the journey of uh, Asia and spirits and cocktails. And I really appreciate your time. And I look forward to seeing what Proof & Company gets up to over the next couple of months after COVID is over and also after. And I do hope to see you again in Singapore very soon. Well, thank you, Priyanka. It's always a pleasure to have an opportunity to, to tell stories about this region we love so much. If anyone is ever, if any of your listeners are visiting Asia or in any of our cities, hit us up on Proof & Company. Instagram is an easy way to get to us, at Proof & Company. Um, hit us up, send us a message, uh, and our teams would love to give you a list of bars or, or take you out to see what's happening in the region. Thank you. Absolutely, Paul. For those of you listening, don't forget to follow Proof & Company on Instagram. They get up to some really interesting work and they're always around to give you some great advice on where you should get your next drink. 
Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you can stay tuned and get all the updates about our upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening to the Dramatic Sessions.